find you You will ask What will you do When they find me Don't be scared of yourself Hi, I'm Dawn And I'm Ashley We would like to welcome you to the Work It, You Are Worth It podcast Where two friends sit around and talk about healing, growth, and healthy relationships Hey Dawn, how are you? Hey Ashley, I'm great. How are I'm you? I'm good. It's a beautiful day good. out and uh, been a great weekend so far. Fall is here. It's October. I cannot believe it's October. I'm probably on all my Halloween decorations. and I love Halloween. It's yeah, my favorite time of year. I do too. I love Halloween. I, I The only thing I really miss living in Florida is like getting that the color changes in the leaves the and seasons the, the coldness and being able to pull out my sweatshirts out of oh yeah I miss I miss that stuff but that's probably one of the biggest reasons I don't want to live in Florida is because my two favorite seasons so spring is my absolute favorite and fall mm-hmm. is my number two favorite yeah and we just spring I love I love spring oh. yes and you guys have summer all year long in Florida <laughs> we do, we do have seasons once we you know like I thought the same thing moving here and like I don't have seasons but I do have seasons they just look a little different <laughs> um they not even look and they feel different like it, it's cooler out right La- now at night it's 75 degrees right it's perfect at 75 night. does not thick. sound cool to me <laughs> but when it's hundred outside during the day right like so yesterday it was 92 during the day and then was 75 last night there was a nice breeze see for me that is summer because that's what it is here all summer long even in new york that's what it was all summer and like yesterday here it was 75 i think was the high and it was like 60 was the low that's fall weather <laughs> <laughs> right that's what it's like it's just different and um I mean for me it is fall because like you know it was in August it was 102 and it would drop to like 95 at night right yeah you feel so it. it I there, there's a difference and you know the colors are changing here they change just a little differently but you know you can see fall coming in it's just it does definitely does not feel and look like fall up north yeah um spring i think is where i struggle the most with florida because i love tulips that's um, my favorite flower mine too and I, I i can buy them at the store here but there's just i don't know i used to i went um i lived up north and i had my house i planted tulips in the front of my house and i had windows that went from for florida ceiling so i could open those and I would lay on the floor and just let the wind would like blow through the tulips. And right, tulips don't have a a, a big smell, but it's the best I, ever. I could oh god, and I would just it was the, so I do love spring up there. Yeah, but that's okay. I don't have snow and ice in winter, so I'm that's gonna take true. It. You don't have to deal with wet feet all winter long. No, I do not. <laughs> I, I can go to the beach in December. Right, that's go swimming any time that you want. There's there's plenty of positives to Florida for sure. There is, there is. Um, I am definitely not in denial about what goes on here and how what it's like to such, live here. Such uh-huh. a great opening. <laughs> I know, right? So that's what we're going to talk about today. We said that last week we had said we were going to talk about the codependent characteristics. Um. And the first one we're going to talk about today is the denial patterns. So when you say denial, what do you mean by denial? Well, so there's actually a whole list of denial patterns. So denial, the d- denial patterns in codependency is codependents often have difficulty identifying what they are feeling, minimize, alter, or deny how they truly feel, lack empathy for the feelings and needs of others, label others with their negative traits, think they can take care of themselves without any help from others, mask pain in various ways such as anger, humor, or isolation, express negativity or aggression in indirect and passive ways, 
and do not recognize the unavailability of those people to whom they are attracted. Those are the denial patterns that codependents often present um, in being codependent, right? So when I'm looking at these patterns to try to determine if I am codependent or not, if I do these, then I am likely codependent. And that, and like you said, that these come from CODA. These are um, CODA characteristics that the 12 steps um, have. And I, I think all 12 step programs have something like this. Yes. yes. No. Yes. I know ACOA has the laundry list. Um, mm-hmm. And AA and NA have their own versions. I don't remember what it's called. But yes, each program, I think, has their, their own. Okay. All right. I'm looking at this list, and I, when you read it, I'm thinking, for and from a listener's perspective, I'm like, huh? What? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> right. So let's talk about each one of these kind of yeah. in real life situations. Okay. So the first one, codependents often have difficulty identifying what they are feeling. I know I do that all the time. Um, Even still two years, two and a half years into 12-step program and into recovery, um, I still have difficulty identifying what I'm feeling. Uh, A lot of my feelings stem from mad, sad, happy, scared. But those are like... Like, if you were to look at a a pie chart, those are the four main feelings, and then in each one of those, there's like 15 little ones, and they all stem, right? So in mad, there's like frustrated, angry, I don't know, there's others, disappointed, I don't know, there's others. And then from there, like frustrated has like two more that go into it, so... Mad is this main base feeling, but really there's like 18 different feelings attached to that one feeling. So you're talking about the emotion or the feelings wheel, the feelings wheel, which we talked about in a podcast months and months ago. So if you want to look, if our listeners want to look at a feelings wheel to see exactly what you're talking about. Um, so yeah. I think it's, uh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, I was going to start to talk about the in recovery side of that, unless you have something you wanted to add. Well, I was just going to know, I was, I'm, I've, I struggle with this as well still. I mean, a lot, I'm going to be honest, a lot of these I still struggle with. It's just the, to the degree I still struggle with them. Like, I don't always have an issue identifying what I'm feeling. But I still have issues identifying what I'm feeling, depending on the situation I am in. Yes. Right. So and I think that brings to the in recovery. Right. So in recovery, I am aware of my feelings and identify them often in the moment. And I know the difference between my feelings and thoughts. So to go back to the first one, codependents often have difficulty identifying. Right. So I could be, let's say, talking to Nick, and he says something that maybe I don't like, but I'm not really sure why I don't like it, and I just get angry. I'm not even aware of how I feel. I'm just responding with anger and defensiveness and coming back at him. Whereas now, in recovery, he can say something that I don't like, and I can take it in, and I can think and evaluate what he has said, right? So let's say he says, I'm too sensitive. Instead of just getting, I'm not sensitive, my feelings matter. I can actually stop and take that in and say, am I too sensitive? Do I believe I am too sensitive? No, I'm not. I don't think I'm too sensitive. I think that I am feeling like what I think doesn't matter and I am trying to make my feelings be heard and known, and I am trying to feel validated. And then I can choose whether or not I need to come back at him with a statement about that, or if I need to leave him to believe that on his own. I was thinking about something, I was trying to think about where in my life where this 
has has occurred. I it, and I actually shared with you before the before we actually jumped on the podcast. I'm a few months ago or a few podcasts ago. I shared with you that I was going through this yucky feeling. I was trying to work through all this yucky feeling I had one week, and I couldn't figure out why, and I was carrying it. I just just, just was struggling with where I'm at in my life, where I'm at in recovery. And I couldn't figure it out. I just was like, I was so, I'm like, I have these feelings, but I don't know why I have these feelings. I was, and it wasn't in a, from a denial place because I acknowledged I had these feelings. And I think what, when we, we have denial about something, it's like, oh, oh I feel yucky. No, I don't. I'm, I'm no, it's, it's fine. I, I'm, I'm not, no, I don't feel, it's okay. I'm, I don't feel that. Right. I'll push it to the side. I'll ignore it. I'll just deny that it's there. In this situation, I did not deny it was there. I was very aware that it was there, but I did not know why it was there. So the work was, let me figure out what is going on. So I, instead of trying to like push, push, push to figure it out, figure it out, figure it out and solve it. I was like, okay, HP, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling this way? And I, and I let it go. I stepped back and what presented itself was I am at a place where I need to take, find more time for Dawn. And in that, it was, what can I give up, right? Because my life, you know, we've talked about, I do CODA six days a week with this podcast and then editing it. And um, there's minimal time for just me. And so I was, think I was feeling some resentment and some anger, not towards others, but actually towards myself because of what I, what, what, all the, the stuff I had taken on. And so what I decided was, you know what, I need to make space for me. And then someone offered to do, to work, actually do some, some work, um, recovery work because she's passed, you know, she's worked through this, the steps and I'm like, that's what I'm missing in my life is to be challenged. I want to be challenged. I want to take my recovery deeper. But I was, and I say this story again, because what it was, was I had this feeling, I, and the, but I hadn't put thoughts to them. So, I mean, when I say that, it's like, yeah, it's yucky feeling in my chest, just feeling that ugh, feeling. Then I had to come back. I had to think about it and be able to understand what it was. But it wasn't from a negative place. It was, okay, what do I need? In the past, again, I would have just denied it and ignored it. So it sounds to me like at first you had difficulty identifying what you were feeling. You were caught up in the anger and the frustration. And then after some time in recovery, you were able to identify what you felt and then think about it. Know the difference between your thoughts and feelings and decide what to do with it exactly that's and it. then i took action that's it right there that is the difference between being codependent and not being codependent in codependency i'm just angry i don't know why i'm angry i don't know what it is i'm just i have an attitude and i'm irritable and i'm short and i don't ever think more about it but in recovery when i feel that way I examine myself to figure out what I need to get out of feeling that way. And I think a lot of, not a lot, most of these, right? It's not about the other person. It's really about me. All of these. Right? I wasn't angry or upset at any, like at all my, you know, my sponsees, you, my, the, you know, the group. I wasn't upset. It had nothing to do with those people. It was really about myself because what I had done is I had overextended myself for a long time and I was at a place where it wasn't because I can't say too long. I can't right because I don't feel that way because when I felt it, I worked on it and within two weeks, the solution was there. The resolution was there and now I'm at a full place of peace. So I kind of feel like what you did was also, right, so for the first two weeks that you were there, the second thing that codependents often do is minimize, alter, or deny how they truly feel. 
So for those first two weeks where you were just angry and you weren't sure why, it sounds like that's what you were doing. You were minimizing, altering, and denying what you were actually feeling because you were having a difficulty identifying it. And then after it took, you said it took two weeks and you finally embraced your feelings and accepted them and became aware of them. That that entire story covers those first two codependent characteristics. Two weeks doesn't seem seems like doesn't seem like a long time, and it do, or it does seem like it, it could be a long time, depending on the way you're looking at it. But for me to go from feeling something to knowing I'm feeling something to okay, I feel this HP. Why do I need I feel this? And then just like letting it go, like I'm it, it, like not in a well. So you didn't let it go though. You worked through it. You you solved it and resolved it and came up with a solution. I did, but I don't think if I would have controlled it, and that is a whole nother pattern. If I would have controlled it, then I don't think it would have gotten resolved. Right. Right. Because I, I would have been saying. overthinking it and I would have been trying to, I would have been trying to solve the problem. And instead, I'm letting it go. HP will give me, because he freaking does it all the time, is here you go. I'm going to plant this back in your head. Because, right, I think that's something that for me that's been such a benefit of recovery is having this, having my relationship with HP where. I'm feeling this right now. I'm at a place where I can't, I can't do anything with it. I don't know what to do with it here. I need, I'm going to hand it to you for a minute and then you're going to give it back when I'm ready. Right. And just because I say when I'm ready, doesn't mean I get a choice in when I'm ready. Right. HP knows when you're ready. Your higher power always knows when you're ready. Exactly. And so then he get, and it was such a clear, just a simple, clear decision and I right I stewed like I did I will lie I will not lie I overthunk this thunk this thing when I made the decision to actually tell the group that I was going to step back from Wednesday nights I lost sleep the night before I of, I of course went into some codependent feelings oh well maybe this person can ask this person to for a sponsor or maybe this person or maybe they can do this or right I I I took it to that place and um, one of my sponsees I was I had shared this with her and she was like well, that's very codependent aren't you being very codependent because that's what you know that's you know how that's the, how that works like let me call you on your codependency and then when I realized it it was like okay and then I sh- and then my whole mind shifted and it was just became a police place of acceptance which is another pattern we'll get to later Um, Yeah, so I mean, I think that covers both of those first two and what they are and how they look. I do, and I think it actually is a great one for the third one, perceive themselves as completely unselfish and dedicated to the well-being of others, because that's where I could have been with it. I used to do that all the time. I didn't think I was... I thought I was just this perfect person. Gosh. Perceive themselves as completely unselfish and dedicated to the well-being of others is what codependents often do. And in recovery, I know the difference between caring and caretaking. I recognize that caretaking is often motivated by a need to benefit myself. So way back when... Somebody would call me and say, hey, I need help with this. And I would perceive myself as this unselfish person who was dedicated to others. So I would drop every single thing, no matter what it was, and I would go and help that person. And a lot of the times I would end up feeling like they didn't have enough appreciation for what I just did because they didn't realize that I just canceled two appointments to come help them rake their leaves and then I would get mad at them and then they would be mad at me like you just offered to come and help sure I asked but you could have said no and now you're mad at me because you're here helping and now we'd be mad at each other and it's this whole horrible cycle whereas now 
I know that I need to think about whether or not I actually want to help go rake leaves. And maybe I want to go rake leaves, but these appointments are more important in my life, so which one is best for me to do? Because dropping my appointments to go and help someone rake their leaves, while I view that as unselfish, I end up hurting myself and then hurting them, and then they feel like they hurt me because I dropped what I needed to go do it for them. So I'm looking at uh, the part where it says, is often motivated, motivated by a need to benefit myself. Do you think that when it's when it refers to that is it something so obvious do you think it's an obvious thing no or, no 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 or no, what no. can benefit actually for me truly mean like right it's not a big like oh i'm gonna get a million dollars oh i'm gonna right i'm gonna usually for me it's some calculated motivated or manipulative blah blah, blah. sorry manipulative factor it's a oh I feel good enough right so caretaking being motivated by a need to benefit myself normally I don't even recognize that need in the moment because I'm not examining it I'm just acting but I find that when I sacrifice myself to help someone else for me, it's self-worth. Um, like if I do it, I do. I did it. I used to do it because if I said no, they wouldn't love me. Or if I said no, I wasn't giving. Or it, it, it was 100% about me. And, and helping someone is not about me. It's about them. I wasn't ever helping. I was always caretaking. I think I've know of, I've used this analogy and we've used this analogy in a previous podcast, but one of the things is think about paying it forward. You go to a, you go to a the drive-through, you pay for somebody's coffee behind you, and then I leave and I call and tell all my people. I just paid right. Right. That is that is a that doing that when I go and I tell other people that's a benefit for me. That's self-seeking. I am helping someone else. I'm caretaking someone else in order to feel better about myself. And that, that leads into the next one, lacking empathy for feelings and needs of others. Because while I think I'm helping them, I'm doing it to make me feel better. So then if I Right. Let's use your example. We pay for somebody behind us and then I call my friend and tell my friend about it. And they're like, that's great. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? You're not happy for me? Shouldn't you? You're supposed to feel good for me. I'm not thinking about the car behind me. Right. You should be you should think I'm the best person in the world, the nicest person in the world. That is a you should say thank you. You should, you know. Yeah, that's a total lack of empathy for the car behind me that I was trying to help. We give, I think there's one of those things when, when we give to others, it, we don't realize how much it is about us and what, and, and how, and how it is self-seeking. Truly giving to someone is, allows for that freedom in my heart, my mind of just doing it and letting it go. You know, one of the biggest examples I have of this is, I'm sorry, were you going to say something? No, not at all. Go ahead. I mean, I, yeah, okay, no, I know you're fine. I wasn't, wasn't, I was done. One of the biggest examples I have of this is love. When I love someone, a significant other relationship, I love them for me. I, I don't mean that now in recovery, right? But Typically, in our society, when I love my husband and I am in a relationship with my husband and he loves me, I expect him to love me in the way that I need. 
I want him to talk to me the way that I need. I want him to show affection in the way that I need. I want him to help me, right? And if he doesn't do those things, I get angry, right? So, hell, I can even use Nick as an example of this. I want to feel connected to him. I love him. I am committed to him. We are in a relationship. I want to feel like we have conversation and connection. And if he's in a mood where he doesn't want to talk, I get upset because I don't feel like we have conversation and connection. Well, but that, how is that me loving him? It's not. That's me expecting him to love me. I expect him to talk. I expect him to communicate and let me feel this connection that I need, even though what he may need is not to talk. That is me lacking empathy for the feelings and needs of others. Now, that doesn't mean that it's okay, right? It doesn't mean that we should never communicate, and if he never talks, that's okay. But if I choose to love him... I am choosing to love. That's not me demanding he treat me a certain way or he love me a certain way. That's me demanding how he chooses his feelings. But so Ashley, you what ha- my que- I guess my question would be this, like shouldn't I want somebody to love me? Like it shouldn't it shouldn't love be about me? Like I mean, yes, you should be with somebody who loves you in the way you need. Yes, when I am with someone, I should feel loved. However, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when I choose to love someone, what I act and how I think about their feelings. I cannot control whether the person I choose to love loves me. I cannot control whether the person I choose to love communicates or feels the way I want them to. But am I choosing to love them? If I am choosing to love them, then my job is to love them, not to force them to love me. And I think that gets into another pattern we'll talk about in in another episode is control. Yes. Right? Because I think that's what you're saying is, am I going to control that person's love for me? Well, and, and yeah, that's a part of it. But I think a big part of it is lacking empathy for the feelings and needs Mm -hmm. of others. Because when I'm worried about whether or not he is loving me the way I need him to, I am certainly not having empathy for what he needs. So... The next one is an interesting one. Label others with their negative traits. Gosh, that is a big one. I could really spend the entire rest of the podcast talking about this one. (laughs) Yeah, this is a good one. So for me, the first thing that I, um, I think of is gossip. Like, if I'm sitting here and I'm talking to someone about someone else, Oh, did you see what she had? I'm going to go on his, so I'll just use this example. What she wore the other day. Did you see how tight it was? Did you see how her attitude was, right? That is, I need to look at myself. I need to look at myself all day because when I talk about someone else, usually it has to do with me. Right, right. I mean, so... I always say it's a mirror. My biggest complaint about someone else is a mirror on what I am doing. For quite some time, I was stuck on whether or not someone was being inconsiderate. And it it would just get my goal every single time I felt like someone was inconsiderate of me that, that should be considerate of me. It would just, that would be a huge forefront complaint. Oh, he is so inconsiderate. She is so inconsiderate. These kids are so inconsiderate. And what I found out was that I was actually being inconsiderate, right? I was so worried about whether or not they were thinking about me that I wasn't thinking about them. 
and their perspective and the way they're feeling. And I think there's a fine line with that where thinking about their feelings and, and considering their feelings as a codependent, it's a slippery slope into taking to owning their feelings and considering considering their feelings. It is a but very slippery slope. <laughs> yeah. So in a it's a fight for me between denial and control. Yes. And we'll get to control pattern because there's a whole thing about control patterns. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, so, yeah, I think that's something very important to look at, right? So in recovery, I acknowledge that I may own the negative traits I often perceive in others. That does not say that just because I see that trait in someone else means I do it. What that says is when I find out that someone else's lack of consideration is bothering me. I need to look at myself and see if I am being inconsiderate. When I think someone else's selfishness is bothering me, I need to look at myself and see, am I being selfish? It doesn't mean I am. It just means I need to look at it. I'm going to, I just, I want to jump to the next one. I'm really excited. I really like this next one. I love this one. (laughs) Think they can take care of themselves without any help from others. This was me. This was me to a T. This was the one about, I think the first one I ever highlighted that was the big, like where it was a realization that this, that was my codependency. I never thought that that was codependent. I did not either until I was in CODA. That's what I'm saying. It's like, this was like my, oh, really? How? This is Uh. still me. Still. Yeah. I, um, I still do this to this day. Every single person in the world needs help. Sometimes there's not a single person that is breathing that does not need help sometimes i had a and one of the things we you know we do in recovery i know as a sponsor i do right my sponsees know that i am never going to call them i don't call you or like right you know you had to call me because this is one of those things that we had to work through to know it's okay to reach out to another person to ask for help. The other side of asking for help too is saying, I can't do this alone. Exactly. CODA is a selfish program, but but CODA is not an alone program. Yeah, I mean, right for me, even, even Friday at work, my boss comes to me, hey, can you do this and this and this? And I'm like, of course, I'll do my best. And really, the answer I should give is, no, I need help. I can't do it all. I I need help. So yeah, for me, this is still a problem. Um, I'm still working through it. Now, I have acknowledged I need help in a lot of other areas. There's a lot of places where I used to try to do it alone all the time, and I have quickly gotten to a point where I'm like, okay, I, I can't do this alone. I need some help. But for some reason, work or things that I believe are my responsibility, I still struggle asking for help with. I think work for me is one of those areas. And I I think it's because, you know, so being, (laughs) we're supposed to, you know, give at our job everything because they they pay us. I need to keep my job. I need to be loyal. I need to, there's, there's something with that. If somebody asks me something, it's not okay at work. It's not okay to say no, because I'm going to get fired or I'm going to could lose my job or I could, I struggle with that as well. And I, it's, and it's because I do need my livelihood. I do need to pay my bills. 
But in reality with it is if I'm doing my job and someone asks me to take something else on, it's okay for me to say, my plate is full. I can't take this on unless we remove something else. Absolutely. And I think that leads into the next one, mask pain in various ways, such as anger, humor, or isolation. Um, I tend to do that a lot at work. You know what I mean? When they say, can you take this on? Instead of saying, no, I can't. I'm like, oh, yeah, just throw it at me. I could do it all and make a joke of it. But if you take out the laugh, chuckle, fluctuation in your voice... Yeah, I can do this, right? There's such sarc that really there's so sarcasm in there that's saying, no, I can't. Yep. I, I do that a lot. I do. When I get to a point of not wanting to ask for help and needing to ask for help, I definitely mask my pain. I, I always straight to either humor or anger or isolation. Those are typically my three go-tos. Now, I want to talk about isolation really quick because I I think there's a fine line on that one with isolation. So there's a difference between isolation and taking the time I need. Yes, there is a big difference and there is a very fine line. Because using the work example, if somebody comes and asks me to do something, I could write, I could hide from my boss knowing they're going to ask me to do more. I could stay far, far away, right? To completely avoid a situation and interaction, right? Take the seven miles out of my way to get to the restroom or not walk by the, the person's door. But then what we're, what I'm thinking of is those times and when a, you're, someone asks you to do something, like you said, what happened with you getting asked to do an additional task by Friday, I think it's okay to say, let me think about it and I'll get back with you and step away and take the feeling and take, be able to process the feelings if it's something I can do or do I need to ask for help from someone else? And that's the in recovery portion of that, right? That Mm -hmm. is being able to pause and decide whether or not I feel this, I, I hurt or whatever, and, and make a, an intellectual decision, an information-based decision on whether or not I want to take this on or I want to do this. Right, because your body tells you, if you know your body, when we, you and I have talked about this, we know exactly when our codependency hits, where it hits, and what it does afterwards. And how because, it feels physically. Yes, that's that's it. Because that's really what it's about, is how does it feel physically? Because when I memorize how it feels physically, the minute I feel my codependency turn on, I can turn it right, I, I can I can identify it, and I can, I can stop it where it's at. That doesn't mean I don't deal with it. It doesn't mean anything. It just means, okay, no, not now. I'll come back to you, and I'll, 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 uh, I'll you know, address it at that point. In this case, where it's saying, I am aware of my painful feelings and express them appropriately, what I think is needed when we step away is, because I tend to, in a case where, and using your example, because work is work for me as well, you know, very similar, ask to be asked to do something and then feeling angry and resentful when I say okay, and being and then just having this like this resentment and grudge towards the person instead of yeah this doesn't feel right like doing taking this on just doesn't feel like feel right maybe I'm not the best person for this this task it's so crazy how this is working before you continue because I want you to and I think it's important what you're getting ready to say and uh, we're going into how we express our feelings, which is the next one, express negativity or aggression in indirect and passive ways. Whereas in in recovery, we are able to express our feelings openly, directly, and calmly. Right. Finish your story with that, because that was perfect. Yeah, so I could easily ask for the help I need. Like, maybe I'm not comfortable with a task. 
and we're going to use your, you know, your little situation is right. You are supposed to be doing a presentation using Excel, Google Maps, whatever. What does that mean? What does that look like? And you said, okay. And you, you're, you know, you, you're going to do it. But then there's the problem with it is, is the stress and the anxiety that comes with it because you've now taken on something you're not comfortable with. And I think there's part of it where it's like, if I'm feeling yucky and feeling gross about a situation, then I need to go to back to the person, go to the person and say, I want to be able to do this. However, I am not comfortable with using these tools to make that happen. And I'm unclear in what exactly you are looking for. Right. So to be able to go to somebody instead of being like, which, okay, in the past, let's use the same example of a work project. Somebody give me a project and give me a deadline and I not know what's entailed in the project. I would just get an attitude Mm -hmm. and do the best I could, but I would probably do it half-assed and I would be pissy about it and I'd be snapping at the person that gave it to me. Whereas in recovery, in healthy interaction... I take that project, I walk out of there, I feel whatever I'm feeling, I think about it for a day or two, and then I go back to the person that assigned that project and say, hey, I need this, or I need help, or I need training, or I need whatever, I am feeling overwhelmed, and I am feeling incapable, and just be honest with what I feel and what I need in a calm, direct fashion. And then the last one, do not recognize the unavailability of those people to whom they are attracted. That's a big one. Because for a long time, like it's kind of like the other one of perceiving themselves as completely unselfish, right? For a long time, it was totally subconscious. I did not even know that I was attracted to people who are unavailable And nor did I even realize that they were unavailable. My choice in romantic partners has always been picking a person that is unavailable. And I say that, and I'm going to use, I'll use some examples. So the guy that I referred to as the guy that brought me to Coda, he was, lived with his sister, travel, like, air quote, lived with his sister, worked all the time, um, wasn't settled, wasn't financially stable, um, and not stable, but like settled, right? He was, he was just very much all over the place. There was just no groundness in him. That is somebody that's unavailable. Whether it's physical, spiritual, financial, people can be unavailable in those aspects. And he, he was. Let's talk about emotionally unavailable. Right? Because sure, in those physical aspects, he was unavailable. In that financial aspect, he was unavailable. But let's talk about emotional, because right, a lot of times we can recognize financial red flags. um, And a lot of times, right, when we're open to it, we can recognize physical red flags. You don't spend as much time with me, or you're always asking for money, or you don't have a job. But the emotional unavailability is so hard to see. Yeah. But I think that the emotional goes along with those other things as well. Because you think about if I, if my life is not settled, I am not a, I am emotionally not able to be available. Absolutely. Because I, I don't have capacity because the rest of my life is a clusterfuck. Absolutely. It's un, it's unmanageable. Yeah, I mean, if the finances aren't there and the time isn't there and the job isn't there, then the emotions definitely won't be there. Right, because emotion, emotional availability takes work. It takes effort. It takes groundness. It takes um, self-awareness to know what I need emotionally and what I don't need emotionally or I don't want emotionally. So how do we recognize someone who is emotionally unavailable, right? So I can find financially unavailable. I can find physically unavailable. I can see those things and recognize those things. I think that's fairly, you don't have a job. You don't have, 
hours to spend. I go days at a time without talking to you. Um, you don't have a home. Right there for me, one thing you said is you don't go days. You go days without talking to me. And an, into, an emotional relationship takes time and it takes effort. And if the other person or myself is not willing to sacrifice time in their own lives to be able to develop that emotional availability that's that to me that's a that's a big sign because it takes time and time people have to get make adjustments in their lives to accommodate for that absolutely and then there too there's the people who they'll make all the time in the world but they just don't have the depth they don't have the awareness they don't have the um, emotional intelligence to be able to say instead of saying I'm angry you pissed me off to be able to say anger is a secondary emotion what I feel is hurt because I needed to spend time with you and you had to do this so really what I feel is lonely right so like oh, wait I have a question for you real quick sorry to interrupt you said emotional intelligence are you saying the person's stupid no not at all emotional intelligence so mathematical intelligence we yes i can add and yes i can subtract and yes i can multiply but if you start talking to me about calculus then you have gone above my mathematical intelligence emotional intelligence is similar to that in my mind where yes i have the ability to say i am angry i am hurt i am sad i am frustrated but maybe I don't have the ability to know where that stems from or to know what I can do to not feel that. That doesn't make someone stupid. It just means their emotional intelligence is at a different level than the other person's. Can I change someone's emotional intelligence? No. I can, I can show my emotional intelligence and hope that that teaches them, right? Like, it's the same as doing math. It, it literally is, I, I, as I sit here talking about this, I'm this analogy just popping up. You could sit down with me and try to teach me calculus all day long, and I may be able to grasp it, but maybe I don't have the ability to learn it in the way that you are trying to teach it. And that doesn't mean you're bad. That just means I can't learn it that way. I need to learn it a different way. So can I give someone else emotional intelligence? No, I cannot. I may be able to teach them, but if they can't understand it in the way that I'm teaching it, then it's not going to work. Should I go find people to come and explain it to them? No. If someone wants you to explain emotional intelligence, they will ask. Would you ever walk up to somebody and be like, you can't add, let me teach you. Right. I would never yeah. walk up to someone and be like, dude, you cannot do math. Come here and sit down and let me show you how to do math. They would be like, what the fuck do you mean I can't do math? I can do math. You go, you go learn how to do math. It's the exact same thing. If I walked up to somebody and said, dude, you look like you don't know how to read your emotions. You need some more emotional intelligence. Let me teach you how to not be so surface. Let me teach you how to be deeper. It's never going to work. They have to want it. They have to want to look at themselves. They have to want to go deeper. So what if you're in a, a relationship or you have a friend that is not, their depth of emotional intelligence isn't at a level that you're comfortable with? What do you, what do, you do? Well, so, right, that brings up the in recovery aspect of this. So in recovery, I pursue intimate relationships only with others who want and are able to engage in healthy and loving relationships. If I am living in recovery and not being codependent, and I know somebody is not at an emotional depth that I need to connect with them, then I would not pursue an intimate relationship with them but what happens if I've been with my partner I'm in you know I find recovery in a relationship and I'm still in the relationship and this partner 
I'm finding we have a difference in emotional intelligence or whatever intelligence you want to say. What do what do I do with that? I mean, how do I, I mean, I've been with this person for how long? I mean, am I supposed to just leave, leave because we don't have the same level of, of of emotional intelligence? Yeah, I think that's, I mean, I think that's something that we all have to determine on our own. I would say we have a couple of options. If we've been in a relationship and it's not meeting our needs, we need to decide if, it meets our needs in other ways, right? Like, can I get the availability that I need in a different aspect, in a different way, in, from a different person, maybe, right? Maybe we talk about emotional depth. Maybe the emotional connection can come from a best friend. Maybe the emotional connection can come from a higher power. Or maybe it can't. And maybe... I realize that I need that emotional depth and they just don't have it. I I think that has to be determined by each person. Um, Completely agree. I don't know that there's one right answer to that, honestly. I, I think recognizing the availability is the number one thing and then being able to determine um, what is a healthy and loving relationship based off that availability. I was actually speaking to someone yesterday um it was somebody I hadn't spoken to before and she um did outreach and asked if I had a few moments to talk and oh sorry I'm thinking of the wrong call it was a different call I had two calls like that this weekend so it was Friday night it was a woman that had never been to CODA she sees the same therapist that I do and my therapist always is telling when she sees somebody that she would identify as you know codependent sends them my sends them you know my way to talk and be able to share real stories and you know from a real place and one of the things she struggled with was can you I'm in a relationship how do I can I do this program and still be in the relationship I didn't think I could I thought I could not I had to be like leave my relationship behind Really? That's surprising to me to hear that. So let me just be the first to say very loudly and clearly, if you haven't heard it before, you can absolutely be in a relationship and be in 12-step recovery and be in Codependence Anonymous and be in recovery. It's not easy. That's the big thing I was going to say. It's going to be harder. It's especially it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's this shit's already hard, and then you add that. And I think what it is is that when when your partner is a person that's triggering you, and that is some work that right you have to do the work on yourself, but you have this person constantly coming in and triggering you. That has nothing to do with them, right? We're, I'm not saying it's them. I'm saying it's something in me that's being triggered. If that's still while I'm working on that, and that's still happening that shit is going to get extra hard and it's already hard not it's totally feasible it's totally possible i will say i've only ha- experienced one sponsee that has been able to make it work so a little bit about my story to say this is um nick has been sober for two and a half years I have been in CODA for two and a half years. Um, March was two years, so it's a little over. But anyways, um, um, so when it first started, when this all first started, he was actually in rehab. And when he came home from rehab, he was in AA and he was going to meetings and he was doing his thing and I was doing CODA. And what I found was that my addiction was not alcohol or drugs or anything else. My addiction was him. 100% through and through, my addiction still is him. And he knows this. Nick has heard me say this. I am 100% addicted to Nick. And I am still in a relationship with Nick. When I say it's not easy, that doesn't even begin to cover it. Um, To be mindful of my thoughts and my feelings and my needs 
while being with the person who I put above myself at all times and trying to find the happy medium in that is very, very difficult. And with as much difficulty as it is, comes just as much reward. If we can figure this out, when we figure this out, we are figuring this out, but when we get it figured out, the relationship has the potential to just be this ideal relationship. And there is a knowledge that we may not be able to figure it out. And that's okay too. We still love each other. We still put this much work in. We still have each other's best interests at heart. And yes, that would hurt like hell. And yes, that would be devastating. And yes, it would feel like a failure. And yes, all of those things. And it is worth it. It's worth it. There's no other way to say it because every day it's worth it. Every day there's new rewards. Every day there's new growth. And even in those hardest moments where the two of us feel like we are bashing our heads up against the other person's head and hurting ourselves and them, there is still this knowledge that we are committed and we are working towards the same goal together. Thank you for sharing that. I, You were the one person I was referring to and I, I didn't want to call, call you out. Um, so thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Um, I want to read, to, to wrap up, I, I know you have this book as well, Codependent No More um, by Melody Beatty. Um, great book. Probably, it was really one of the first codependent books I read outside of Women Who Love Too Much, um, which is also a great book. But it says denial, and I love the way that she spelled these out because they're very straightforward. Um, there's a lot less interpretation, I think needed in them versus the recovery patterns which I love the recovery patterns too so I'm not criticizing either one just an alternative way to you know look at it um so Ashley for you I'm on page 45 um all right and it's denial codependents tend to ignore problems or pretend they aren't happening they pretend circumstances aren't as bad as they are they tend to tell themselves things will be better tomorrow we tend to stay busy so they don't have to think about things they get confused they get depressed or sick they go to doctors and get tranquilizers they become uh, workaholics they spend money compulsively they overeat they pretend those things aren't happening either. They watch problems get worse. They believe lies. They lie to themselves. And they wonder why they feel like they're going crazy. Damn if that doesn't describe all of it. I know. And I can honestly say, because of course when I read this I highlighted. And even sitting here now I didn't have a few of them highlighted. And I'm like. Oh, no, yeah, I did, yeah, no, mm-hmm. I definitely did, and I definitely did every single one of those regularly all the mm-hmm. time, and I still do some of yes, those. Yes, exactly. The only one I really didn't do was go to the doctor and get tranquilizers. Oh, no, I did that. I was on Xanax and Ativan for a couple of years because I thought my anxiety was just out of control. Thankfully, I have been off of them now for several years, Um, but I was, I definitely did that too. I think I did every single one of those in an attempt to sort through my codependency. I guess you're right. If I I was on antidepressants and an anti-anxiety, so yeah, I guess you're right. I did that too. Hmm. Well. We definitely know we're codependent. Yep. I'm, I'm a very good, I always tell you, I'm a, I'm a really good codependent. I was, I'm a really good codependent. I, I, I was the best codependent I could possibly be. <laughs> which, which is a trait of codependency as being, <laughs> being the best at every, oh, shit. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? 
What a wonderful (laughs) podcast this has been. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, So next week, are you good? Let's keep going with these recovery patterns. It's kind of fun to... Yeah, next week is the low self-esteem patterns we'll go over. Oh, fun time. Caesar, this is not being enough is the root of everything for me. So... Yeah, I still do all of these. We'll talk about them next week. (laughs) All right. Till next week. Have a great week. Bye, everyone. Bye. We would like to thank you for joining us on this journey of self-discovery. Visit the Work It website at workityouareworthit.com to submit your questions and topics for future episodes. And remember, work it because you are worth it.